huddle around here. Good morning. We're going to be reading the Christmas story story from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 223. This is how Mary, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to the public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through this prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of the king, Herod and Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed by all Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people, chiefs, priests, and teachers of the law, he asked them where Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time of the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had seen when it rose ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they, having been born, warned in a dream not to go back to her road. They returned to the country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi, then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he, was, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled that was said through the prophets. He would be called a Nazarene. 
Let's pray together. Father, I am grateful uh, for just a chance to hear from your word. Thank you for um, my friends, the Barber, Barber family, and I'm thankful for their um, just willingness to serve today. And I, Father, I pray that um, that this would be truly a reading of your word that is perfect. And I'm thankful that you um, sent your son to die for us, that we get to hear that story every year. And Father, I pray that we would not take it for granted, but that we would understand that this Christ child came as a rescue mission for us. Guide us today as we learn about who you are. In your name we pray. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, guys. All right. Uh, my kids, we're my kids, uh, first through fifth grade, you guys are dismissed over there to the wonderful man in the Santa hat. He's waving his arms in the air. He would love to see you. Thank you, guys. All right, we're going we're gonna to look more deeply at this passage in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. So if you have a Bible, please follow along with me. If not, it'll be up on the screen for you. Uh, I, last week, we, uh, we talked about Mary, and we're, we've got, we're going through just a short Christmas series called Through Their Eyes, uh, meaning that we're just going to see the story exactly how they saw it. Uh, the, um, the three individuals, or uh, at the, next week it'll be a group, of individuals that were there at the birth of Christ. Uh, so last week we looked at Mary and, and kind of saw her personality uh, and, and saw how she reacted and how we should be an example of her, that we shouldn't worship her for any, uh, for any sense of the imagination, but that we, should, uh, that we should follow her example, that she loved Jesus, not just as his mother, but as her God and as her Lord. And so today we're going to look at Joseph, which is kind of very much more like us, and then uh, next week, we'll look at the shepherds, who were, who were the first missionaries, which I love that. And so we'll get sent out in that way for the rest of the year. I love Joseph. And there's not a whole lot known about Joseph, but I love Joseph. And the reason why I love Joseph is this. He's just like us. He, more than anybody else in the story, Joseph is just like us. And here's the reason. Joseph was average. And I mean, we don't, I, mean I know I'm playing off of the average Joe kind of deal. But he really was. I mean, Joseph was pretty average. There's not a whole lot about Joseph that is, that is known other than this particular story. I, I think Joseph, he, just like Mary, he grew up in a very small town. Nazareth now, uh, nowadays is you know, a couple hundred thousand people. But back in this day, Nazareth, where both Mary and Joseph were from, we're talking about a couple dozen people. We're, we're not talking about, not even a town. It's a village. Not, a, not even a stoplight, not even a blinking yellow light. I, mean, we're, I would barely say that they probably had a stop sign in Nazareth. This is not a place where you go. Uh, this is the place where your car breaks down and you don't want to be, right? And so uh, this, is, this is Nazareth. It's a dusty, dirty, poor old town. And this is where Mary and Joseph are from. So Joseph probably grew up there his entire life. Uh, he knew a trade. He was not educated by, so he was probably illiterate like Mary. Uh, he was probably on the lower ends of the economic uh, structure. He was certainly not rich, like some of the pictures would portray. He's certainly not rich, but he's, he's not homeless either. I mean, he's not, uh, he's not groveling. He's, he's not a beggar, uh, but he is he, in how we see that culture, he's, he's pretty average. It's pretty average within that culture. And so uh, he knows his stuff. Uh, he's not educated beyond his means. And the Bible, uh, the Bible describes him in verse 19 as just a man. He's just a guy. He's an average dude. 
And I can identify with Joseph in a, in a lot of ways, and, I, and I've always have been. And, and here's, re, here's the reason why. Um, it, who are, who's out there who you always got A's in school? If you always got A's. Where's my wife? Thank you. There you go. You always got A's in school. Awesome. The rest of us, not so much. Cool. All right, cool. So I, I, I'm, I'm feeling the love right now. I mean, B's and C's, sometimes lower than that. You know, I mean, it was... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, sometimes lower than that. Uh, B's and C's, that was me. I mean, pretty, pretty average. I, I, I pretty much, I've had this same haircut my whole entire life. Uh, besides a, a random uh, New Kids on the Block stage where I had the rat tail, but we won't talk about that. Um, and uh, it, it, so pretty average. I'm, uh, the only thing that's really above average is I'm kind of tall. My shoes are kind of big, right? I have no control over that though. So, uh, you know, I'm just kind of your average guy. I was a pretty average athlete still. Now I'm pretty below average athlete. But I was, at the time, I was a pretty average athlete. Played a lot of baseball. And, and I, my eyesight isn't that good. And so I, hitting was a struggle for me, right? A, a ball flying at me, trying to hit it in motion, is, it does not work very well. And so my coach found out, my, my dad found out, that I, I was a pretty decent bunter, Right? So, and, and this is, and if you don't know anything about baseball, a, a swing, you stand there and you swing, swing at full motion, right? A bunt is simply, you, you kind of just hold the bat out there and hope that, you know, you can do this number. And it didn't work that well because I was kind of chunky, you know, so it only goes a little bit. So in, in the really s- small leagues, I mean, the catcher, you really, you put your worst player at the catcher position. So the goal was for me to just kind of hit it to the catcher and hopefully he will stink bad enough that he will then not throw the ball at me. That was, the, I mean, that was the goal. So I was pretty average. And we found out that the reason why I stunk at hitting is because when the pitcher was about right here, this is me. You know, and that's what I would do. But my dad figured out that that if I was just holding the bat out there like this, I would keep my eyes open the entire time. It's amazing. And so I spent my, like, my whole childhood baseball career as a bunter, and I wasn't a pitcher. You know, it was, it was pretty, it was just incredibly sad. So anyway, I really like, um, I really like Joseph because he's pretty, it, he's just incredibly average. And most likely, I think that you can probably identify with him too. I mean, let's, let's be honest. We live out here. We're not millionaires. I mean, mo- a lot of us have, you know, we have a decent job. We are middle class. Um, there's not a whole lot of MIT geniuses living in the suburbs of Charleston, right? Uh, you know, it's just, we, we're good folk. Uh, you know, blue collar, some of us, you know, upper blue collar. We're just good, hardworking folk, and we're pretty average. We're not exceptionally educated, but we're not poor. We're not homeless. We're just kind of right in the middle. And so we, I think that we can really identify with Joseph in a good way. The script for our life is, you know, get a good job, um, you know, be able to pay the bills, get a decent house, have a couple kids, make sure you raise them pretty well so they go into a decent house. I mean, they can go into a decent middle-class career and, you know, maybe a miracle will happen and they get really good at a sport and they'll get a college degree. I mean, I, you know, some, some of these things... We just, our hopes are pretty average. So I like Joseph in this way. Here's the script for his life. Be a good carpenter, be in Nazareth, find a good wife, have a couple kids, understand. Now he's a Jew. And so 
you know, one of the big things in his life was understanding of the Old Testament covenant. I mean, that was, that was pretty important to them. So, you know, he might not have been that educated, but he would have been seriously educated in the ways of God and the Old Testament law uh, that you read uh, in the beginning part of your, of your Bible. So he would have known that pretty well, and he would have known not to break it. That was his job. It was just know the law and don't break it. So let's look at Joseph real quick. Here's what happens to him. Uh, so again, he, he lives in this uh, dumpy old hick town. He grows up, and all the time, and we talked about this last week, pretty much probably there wasn't a whole lot of other girls in town, right? We're talking about dozens of people. Uh, you know, this church in this room is probably the size of the entire village, so we're not talking about a lot of girls his age. So he probably would have known Mary his entire life. I mean, there probably wasn't a moment where, you know, he saw her across the room and love struck him, and, and there, there she is. That probably didn't happen. He probably met her when he was three, two years old. And they, they grew up together. They knew each other pretty well. They played games together. And, you know, later on, when they were eight, nine, ten years old, the conversation began to, to happen around the dinner table where it would be, you know, Joseph looks like a pretty good husband. He looks like a good guy. So let's talk to, you know, betrothal. Let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about the future of your lives together in the possibility of marriage. And, and this was not a bad thing for them. There was not a whole lot of other people around. And they were friends. And they began to love each other. And that's a good thing. And so, uh, and so Mary would have known Joseph well. And Joseph would have known Mary very well. Uh, probably his, one of his best friends and confidants, of course, when you hit, when you're, when you're a boy and you, hurt, you hit about 13 to 14, 15 years old, that's about how old Joseph would have been when all this happened. Uh, all you are, you're about 99%, or you're about 1% water and about 99% raging hormones, right? And so at, at this point, Joseph's, re- I mean, Joseph's ready to get married. He has observed all the Old Testament law. He's done a, a very good job. He's learned to trade, and he's ready, he's ready to get married. Uh, and the day comes for his betrothal, where uh, betrothal is kind of like engagement, but you actually enter into a legal contract. Uh, it, the day comes for his betrothal. Uh, the legal agreement is made to be married. Uh, and he's just like, man, I only got one more year. I only got one more year and I can marry my best friends and, and we can, you know, have a life together and all that is good. Um, I, I, I know that I, there's not a whole lot anybody better than her. She's pretty. She's smart. She, she loves God. She loves the law of God and she wants to marry me. That's a plus. I mean, so I mean, it's, it's, it's a good arrangement. I'm looking forward to this and I only have one year left and, and we get to go for this thing and it's exciting. We get to have the marriage. We get to have to consummate the marriage and it's all, it's all well and good. He's good. Joseph doesn't, never does anything wrong. All is well. He keeps his eye on the prize. He never takes his eye off of it and he's keeping himself in, in check and Joseph does his job. And then one day, Mary comes to him and says, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. She pulls him off into a corner and says, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Right? Just the heart just falls out of his chest onto the floor. And he just, huh. what? And in, and in seconds, he goes from, deep sadness to perpetual anger and it's just like how is that possible who 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 did you do what happened 
I thought we had this together. I thought you were happy. I thought you liked me. I, what happened? You're pregnant? How is that possible? And I mean, it, this, you can see just going back and forth between deep betrayal and just burning anger. And then she heard the next sentence out of her mouth is, I'm still a virgin. What? Right? I mean, and, 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 and I can, I, for me, I would have been like, I, and now, he would be perfectly clear, clear to do this. Now, imagine if this was part of the story. He was, according to the law, able basically to grab her by the hair, pull her out in the middle of town, strip her clothes off of her, and beat her. That was allowed. And actually, that was normal. That's what would have happened to her. And then he would have called all the town together and say, look at the whore. Look at the girl who fooled me. Look at her. Insult her. Beat her too. A compassionate thing would have been to let her live. It would have been totally okay to stone her and kill her. That is going through Joseph's mind. He maybe, have, he maybe had seen it in his life. Happened before. And that is what the old, that is what he has been taught his whole entire life. But then he sees it in her eyes. Picture it. This girl who he's known all of his life. They play games together. She know, he knows when she's joking. He knows when she's playing around. He knows when she's being sarcastic. He knows her very well. And the look on her face is, Joseph, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying to you. This really did happen. And let me tell you the story about how it happened. An angel came to me and told me that I was going to be I was going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. And that he said that I was going to carry Emmanuel. And, it, and Joseph, I think, wants to believe her. I think he wants to. This is the girl that he loves. So he's torn between two very drastic opportunities. He could either do what the law tells him to do, drag her out in the street and give her what she deserves... Or he can be compassionate. He can take her as his wife and protect her and keep her and go through this with her. He has two very drastic decisions to make. And he has to pick one. But Joseph is average. What do average people do? They find something in the middle, right? I'm not going to do one or the other. I'm just going to find a little easy road to go down. So in the story, here's what happens. He doesn't do either of them. He does the easy decision. Joseph decides, okay, I'm going to let her go. I'm going to do the compassionate thing, and I'm just going to divorce her quietly. Meaning I'm not going to drag her out on the street. I'm not going to make a broad announcement, but I am going to put her back on the shelf where she belongs. Right? We're going to come up with a plan. Maybe we'll send you away for a little while. Maybe we'll take you out in town square and make a big feast and just let you eat for days and everybody will think you're just going to be a fat fat. You know, like, I mean, that, and that might be the plan that he comes up with. Everybody think that you'll just gain 40 pounds in the next nine months and nobody will think anything of it. I mean, that, well, let's come up with a plan. Let's, let's figure this out. He's just trying to fulfill both the law and what his heart is telling him to do, which is be compassionate. And this is us. This is us. This is what I want us to get today. We often, with God and what God tells us to do, we are the people who try to 
to take the path of least resistance. See, for us, here's, here's what our options are. Our options are total disobedience, freak out in our life. And, and we see this in some people, and maybe this has been your past. I mean, maybe you've had a past of extreme lifestyle, drug use, drinking, uh, promiscuity. And I mean, you've been everywhere. You have done everything in complete disobedience to what you knew that your conscience was telling you. You knew what God has gifted you to, to do with your body, to do with your life. And you just said, forget it. I don't want to do anything about that. But you know, at the end of, at the, end of the day, there's guilt and there's shame at the end of that. And so now that you're settled down, you're stable, you're living in the community, living, you know, living with your spouse, maybe you have a couple kids, you know that if you go back to that lifestyle, if you go in that direction, it's going to end in deep consequences, and you don't want the consequences, you don't want the shame, and you don't want the guilt. And so there's, there's these things that's keeping you from that lifestyle. Even though it would feel good, you don't want to do that because of the consequences of it. Now, the other option is found biblically is uh, what, what Christ wants us to do, which is radical obedience to who he is and what he calls for you to do. To live in purity and holiness, to seek after him, to be in relationship with him in a, at a very deep level. That, but it, here's the consequences of that. It changes your life. You have to change your lifestyle. You have to change the way that you talk. You have to change the way that you act. You have to change the way that you interact with other people. It changes your, the house that you live in, the finances that you have, the way that you raise your children. Everything is going to be changed by a radical lifestyle with Christ. But we're average. We don't want to do this over here, which is disobedience, guilt, and shame. But we don't want to do this either because it takes a lot of work. And people would think we're weird. And we're a little bit selfish. We don't want to do that. So instead, we, we find this middle way, like Joseph does. We find this middle lifestyle where, uh, you know, we choose to give God Sundays. Sundays, I'm going to be good. I'm going to come to church. I'm going to uh, be invested in some relationships. Um, I might not do the same things that I do on Sundays that I do on Fridays or Saturdays. That but I'm going to, you know, as long as God takes my little offering, you know, and says, okay, you're good. Let me give God just a little bit so that he doesn't get mad at me. So that he is appeased as if God is some kind of angry God in the sky that's going to, get, that's going to like pounce on us if we don't do these kind of things. But if we just can appease God... We'll be okay. That we don't have to do either of the options. And we can stay completely average and live in a sense of mediocrity. That we can stay in the middle of the road. We're not going to go crazy. We're not going to go nuts and leave our family. We're not going to become an alcoholic. We're not going to do drugs. We're not going to go over here either. It just takes too much work. God doesn't do average. He just doesn't. God never in the scripture does average. Ever. He does not do middle of the road. He never does that. He wants to rescue and redeem your life. Whether you are a believer and you've been a believer for a long time, 
He wants to rescue and redeem you and continue to sanctify you. That's the biblical word. He wants to continue to disciple you. Whether you've never had a relationship in your life before, he wants to redeem and rescue your life. He is not a God to just be appeased. He's not that. He is a creator that is going to completely take care and rescue your whole entire life. That every piece of you will be changed. And according to the Bible, and here's, here's, here's the trick of it. We think that we're average. A lot of us are okay with our averageness. According to scripture, in Paul and Romans, we are below average. <laughs> in fact, we are failing all the time. The, the Bible says that we have sin in our life, that we are constantly failing. And that there is no way for us to even become average or even, even above average. That the, that the only way that this happens is to become completely sinless like Jesus so that we might be able to have a relationship with him. And so please don't believe that you can sit in mediocrity. If you're not a believer, please don't believe that you can sit there and up, try to appease God. Christian, please don't believe that you can sit in a mediocre Christian life where as long as I do a couple things right, God will like me and that will be okay. Don't stay there. It's, it's okay not to be okay. It's just not okay to stay there, right? We need to move on past our mediocrity. So you need to make a decision. Are you going to stay average or below average? Are you going to stay that way? Or this Christmas, are you going to radically change your life with Jesus so that he might redeem and restore who you are in your life? Will you choose Jesus and stop playing games in the average and mediocre life. So here's the deal, and this is the fun part. Joseph was not left to his mediocrity. If you look uh, in verse 20 through 25, um, it says this in verse 20. But as he considered these things, uh, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your life, as your wife, I'm sorry, for, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I love this. Here's what Joseph does. He was called to radical obedience. And, his, and the first thing that God calls him to do is say, stop playing around in the middle. Your job is compassion. Your job is to take this woman to, uh, to keep her and give her compassion. So I'm going to answer that question outright. Is there a question in your mind that you should drag her out in the middle of the town, strip her down and beat her? Absolutely not. That is not the plan for her life. And you are going to take the first step and make sure that doesn't happen. Your first job is compassion. Your second job is to protect her. She's going to need a great deal of protection. Right? There's others that are going to want to beat her and kill her. Not just you. Right? There are others who are going to come after her. You need to protect her. You need to keep her. You also need to protect her because you cannot, you cannot have sex with her. Period. You need to protect that. Right? It's very important that, that Mary remain a virgin until she gives birth to Jesus. That is incredibly important to the Christian life. Right? And so you're supposed to protect her. Protect her purity. Protect her life. That, was what God, that is what he was called to do. And can you imagine the ridicule that Joseph would get for this? you imagine the ridicule that he would, that Jesus would be born and he would grow up 
could, I mean, because Joseph is never given a whole lot of credit past this story. I mean, it, it, when Jesus would walk around, I mean, Joseph was not talked about anymore. It was over. But he raised that boy. He lived with him for 30 years, right? And he's never really given credit, right? He's, he's kind of the stepfather. Who's out of the, he's a little bit out of the picture, right? And when Jesus refers to his father, he's not talking about Joseph. He's talking about his heavenly father. Imagine that conversation, right? All right, well, I know Jesus isn't your son. I mean, but you are taking care of him. Who's the real daddy? Oh, God, you know? That'd be a tough one. Yeah, I I can't really live up to that one, right? That's tough. That's a tough conversation to have. Tough conversation to have. And the third thing he does is he responds with direct obedience. He He is told to name the child right. To name the child right. And you can see it in verse 25. Uh, it says, but he knew her not, which he did, uh, not until he, um, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And I love this. This is what, and this is a declaration. And that day, names were a declaration of who this person was going to be. Uh, and, and Jesus was a pretty normal name in this culture. Uh, Jesus is just kind of a, a more modern version of the Hebrew word of Joshua. Uh, and so it was, it, there was a lot of guys there named Jesus. And the reason why they would name their son Jesus was because it means the God who will save right? And so they were always looking forward to the Messiah. We talked about that last week, where the, the, the Jewish people were always looking forward to this Messiah. They were always looking forward to Emmanuel, the one who will save them. And then the angel comes and says, you will name his name Jesus because he will accomplish the task. It's not just looking forward to it anymore. It is, this is the guy that's going to do it. His name is going to be Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. It's a declaration of who he is. He will save them. Emmanuel, God with us. I love this in Matthew. He starts with God with us and then he ends the Matthew gets all the way to the end and Jesus's statement is this. Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he ends it with this. I'm going to be with you. Isn't that awesome? He's Emmanuel. God with us. He is going to be with us. It's an amazing Amazing statement of who he is. And so the story, of Chris, uh, the story of Christmas, this season and every other season and every other season that will come after this, Christmas is a rescue mission. Christmas is a rescue mission. And Jesus is coming to rescue all of us. And so the question that you have today to answer is, are you going to be rescued from complete mediocrity? Now you might be, you, for some of you, you might be looking at my story and say, man, I'm way over here. I'm the guy who doesn't even have it in control. My life is crazy. I don't care. I feel shame and guilt all the time because my life is nuts, right? That might be you. Jesus can save you from this too. That's amazing stuff, right? He can also save, he can also save the Christian or he can also save the person who's just kind of living in mediocrity. He can save you too. And this is for you. This is what God has done for you. So will you decide, and I want you to do this today, I want you to do this this season, this Christmas, even today, today, right now. I want you to decide to follow Christ. I want you to decide, I want Jesus to be in my life. And if you're, if you're not willing to come and talk to me about it, please just talk with somebody that you came with, somebody. Just talk to your person that, came, that, you, that invited you, your wife, your spouse, your child. I don't care, somebody, talk to them about it. Tell them that you want Jesus in your life. Hopefully, maybe they'll come and and allow you to talk to one of us so that we can maybe lead you and direct you in the right path. 
I want you to do that today. Christian, our life is not supposed to be spent right here in mediocrity with Jesus. You might have uh, accepted Christ a long time ago. He is faithful to save. He's not let you go, but he doesn't want you to stay here. He wants you to be radically obedient to who he is. And here's the one tip I'll give you. Take this book. If you don't have one, we got copies of it over there. Take this book, open it, read it. Go to the New Testament, find Matthew, and just begin to read about who Jesus is. It will radically change your life. I promise you that. You will not be able to stay right here in the middle being average by reading this book. You just can't. It, won't allow, I, it will not allow you to do that. Let's pray together. I want to dedicate um, this time to the Lord and ask him to give you courage if you want to respond. Uh, and then we're going to sing a little bit. Jesus, I am grateful um, that you are truly with us. I am grateful that uh, you are the one who has come to save. And so, Jesus, I ask that you will not allow us to stay in our mediocrity. I pray that you will not allow us to be average. I thank you for Joseph's story, that he, uh, he followed you, that he was radically obedient to what you asked him to do. Father, just like Mary, that we should follow her example, that we should also follow Joseph's example, that you pulled him out of that. You pulled him out of a giant trap that he was living in. And you pulled him away from that and said, Joseph, you are going to work a great work for the kingdom. And there are those of us in this room that are just as average as Joseph, just like him, and we can follow his example by following you and being obedient to who you are. Father, I pray if there's one in this room that desperately needs you and needs to make a decision right now to follow you, I pray that you'd give them the courage to speak to someone, that they would have the courage to come and talk to me, that we'd get this right today and we'd be able to celebrate a true Christmas of rescue. And so, and also, Father, I pray for the Christian that they would just be willing to walk with you and walk deeply with you. And as we, as we conclude, as we sing about how mighty you are to save, I pray that you would do that even now, right now as we're singing. And it's in your name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.